This is Divorce and Done with Rob and Darren. You're listening to the Best Divorced Podcast. Rob and Darren, the Best Divorced Podcast. The Best Divorced Podcast. Welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers helping you move through your divorce. Darren Schmidt, how you doing? I am doing amazing. And part of the reason I'm doing amazing is we have a special guest that we booked last minute and he made himself available to join us. Um, a friend from my past, um, listeners may not know this, I attended a first year of law school at the University of Idaho in what is properly pronounced Moscow, uh, not Moscow, Moscow, Idaho. And uh, I'm we're with Robert Taylor today, uh, who graduated from the University of Idaho. And he's a practicing lawyer in a place called Mountain Home, Idaho, which sounds like a lovely community. And we're really pleased to have him on because we do get questions from people from the US with um, questions about parenting issues or property division issues. And of course, it's probably a state specific thing, but we'll probably discuss some comparative law issues tonight while we have Robert with us. So Robert, welcome to the Divorced and Done podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me tonight. Um, why don't we start with who you are? So you're a lawyer and you're based in Mountain Home, Idaho. Tell us about your practice and tell us a little bit about who you are to everyone listening. Uh, yes, uh, I'm Robert Taylor. I have a small firm called Taylor Law and Mediation. Uh, we're headquartered in Mountain Home, uh, Idaho, um, but we actually also have locations in Boise, Idaho, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and uh, as of last month, Pocatello, Idaho. So my goal is to be a statewide agency. Uh, there's 44 counties in Idaho. I'd like to be in all of them. I'm at 24 right now, uh, but we really focus on uncontested divorces, um, some step-parent adoptions, but mostly uncontested divorces. So my clients kind of have one of two things in common. They either call and say, hey, we got this all figured out. He's doing this, I'm doing that. But we don't know anything about the court system. We need someone to, to navigate this for us. Can you help us out? Or uh, they call and say, hey, uh, we want to get through this peacefully. We want to get through this together. We have no idea where to start. We don't know what to do with the house. We don't know what to do with the kids. Uh, can you help us figure this out? And I, I really see my role as more of a problem solver and I'm navigating them through the process in the court system, and getting, getting them divorced as quickly and efficiently as possible. Uh, the last thing I'll add real quick, um, another unique thing about our firm is that we do everything 100% online. Uh, we switched to an online model in early 2020. A uh, little bit ahead of the, of the curve, I found that clients weren't really willing to make that leap to the digital space with me at that point in time. But by April or May, uh, you know, a pretty serious uh, sequence of events happened. Uh, and that really opened the door to that online or that digital space uh, for my practice to fill that void. Um, this was at least a decade ago that we started our law school adventure together and um, lost touch over the years and now have reconnected. Um, my memory of the first year of law school was uh, terror and fright and upset and stress in that um, no one knew what was going on. You're, we were in, I believe, two sections of 60 students or so. So there are big classrooms and we were always being called on 
uh, based on readings that we had to do the night before. And it just was, it was incredibly stressful. And so we make our way through that stressful experience and we find ourselves now both family lawyers, but in two different jurisdictions. How did you make the decision to, um, much like myself, continue through that terrible experience of law school and in doing so on the back end of it say, well, I'd love to be a family lawyer after going through that stressful, terrible experience. Yeah, uh, a couple of things. I I don't honestly remember what got me through law school. Um, after, so my, I, my entire family has been in the military and my sister was in the Air Force since she was stationed in Hawaii. Uh, she had the first grandkid. My mom moved to Hawaii to provide child care. She was retired. There wasn't a lot of options on the island. So my mom lived there for a year and a half. Uh, that first year of law school, um, my mom invited the whole family, all the kids out for Christmas. Um, I think she might have paid for my ticket. I, don't, I was a law student. Um, and I just we were there for like three weeks or a month or whatever the break was. And I spent a good chunk of that time just trying to figure out if I was coming back. And I realized, you know, what got me to law school wasn't going to be what got me through to law school. But part of why I went to law school um, was like growing up, my mom was a single parent, had four kids. We didn't have a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of extra in the house. Um, I mean, my mom did amazing and did the best that she could, just, you know, limited resources and um, never got any support from my dad. And I remember several times trying to get that ball rolling and reaching out to her attorneys. Um, we lived in a different state, which made it more complicated. And it always came back to money. My mom didn't have the ability to hire an attorney. And I remember her saying, you know, on the phone countless times where if I could afford to pay an attorney, I wouldn't be pursuing, you know, child support. Um, and so that's something that's really stuck in my mind. And, um, you know, uh, Professor Rich Seaman said this, uh, that the law should be accessible. And, um, you know, I think that experience I had growing up combined with that mindset's really informed the way that I practice and helped me get through law school. Uh, but family law, I never had any intention of being a family law attorney. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I went to law school, and that was by design. Uh, when I went to undergrad, I had some preconceived notions of what I want to do with my career and what jobs I wanted. Um, and I somehow by accident, separate long story, found my way uh, working as an editor for the student newspaper my last semester. And I was like, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. But I had gone to, law, had gone to undergrad saying I don't want to be a journalist. That's not what I want to do. And then I graduated saying this is, this is the job for me. And that's what I went and did before I went to law school. And so I came to law school with an open mind. I was like, I'm just going to whatever happens, see where it takes me. Um, and I had the chance or last semester of law school to work in the clinic uh, with uh, some amazing professors. And uh, we did a lot of family law, a lot of low level or low income level cases. Um, and really, I just remember thinking like, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't complicated. They just need people to explain some options or to work them through it and working with other attorneys. I think that the attorneys on the other side, a lot of times recognize they were dealing with law students, low income on both sides. Um, and so it was like, how do we solve this without spending tons of money um, doing it behalf of the client? I just kind of remember thinking that last semester, like, hey, I can do this. I'm interested. I feel like I'm good at it. Um, and I, I don't know what it is. I, I just, I, I think that you're helping people in a really dark period of time. And, you know, there's seldom 
things I don't think we could make a list of things that people care more about than you know their their kids their house where they're going to live who's going to keep what assets who's going to keep I mean that's the livelihood over the course of years to decades that they've built with somebody else that we have to detangle um, and so I, I I didn't have that mindset that I was going to do that but then I I also chose to move to Mountain Home, Idaho, which is where I'm from. It's a small town. It's about 14,000 people. And we're an hour outside of Boise, which is the state capital. Um, it's not a big city by any means, but it's big if you live in Idaho. Uh, and my two choices really were Boise or Mount Home. And I chose um, Mount Home because I felt like I could kind of after, you know, there's only five, five firms there, most of them older. Uh, I felt like, you know, in 10 years, a lot of them will retire. I'll be a known commodity. I can build my name. Like in Boise, I'm always going to be one of 5,000 attorneys. No one's going to know the difference between uh, any of us versus being in that small town and uh, being part of that, that fabric of the community. Um, so I opened my practice there and almost all the attorneys uh, I spoke with said like, this is a small town. You can't specialize. You got to know everything. You got to take whatever comes in. Like you can't, you can't specialize. And then um, Mount Home is about 10 minutes away from an Air Force base, and I had a lot of clients that um, were in the Air Force, and I found them to be ideal clients. They were really, to the most part, mature, had their stuff together, kind of had everything figured out, um, and a major, a major life event in a military member's life is deploying, and so a lot of times the, the Air Force deploys at six-month segments, and so people would come to my office. It seemed like in bunches on the beginning and the end of these deployments and say, hey, uh, at the beginning, we recognize this isn't working. There's no need to extend this. Uh, let's just get divorced. I'm going to deploy. She's going to move back home uh, with the family or maybe they came back and there were some issues that happened during the marriage that it was clear the marriage was over. Uh, but a lot of times it was like, hey, uh, mom's a good mom. And a lot of times mom was the civilian member in the relationship. Father was the, the military member, not all the times, but a lot of times. But you know, a lot of times the husband would say, hey, mom's a good mom. Uh, I'm in the Air Force. I'm gonna move around every couple of years. She's gonna move back home. Her mom lives there. My mom lives there. Uh, it makes sense. What do we do? And so I was seeing a bunch of that and I was like, hey, how do I get efficient at this? How do I do this quickly? How do I do it good so I can keep the rates low uh, and kind of, you know, do it over and over? And I just kind of fell into that, that uh, I think that niche uh, just just kind of by happenstance where I realized like, hey, there's there's a need for this. There's a demand uh, for people who want to get divorced quickly and efficiently or maybe figured out. 75% of it to 100% of it by themselves and just need help getting across the line. And then um, from there, two things happened. One, uh, and I think 2018, around that time frame, Idaho went to an e-filing system. And so now you can file anywhere you have a laptop, internet connection into any county in the state. Before, I don't know how it is in Canada, I am interested to hear about that. You had to physically walk into the courthouse. And so you were limited to where you could, you know, where you were willing to physically walk in to file with that courthouse. So that limited my practice. But once we went to that uh, e-filing system, that really opened it up. And I came up with the idea to expand into the Boise market because that's where the population is. There just wasn't enough uncontested divorces in Mountain Home to, to make it work. So I was like, I need 
to go bigger. And then I was like, well, I'm sure it takes the same amount of effort to expand into the Boise market as it were across the state and just kind of started working a little bit at a time to expand across the state. Uh, and what I realized afterwards uh, was that Idaho has got a lot of rural communities where there aren't a lot of options or a lot of attorneys practicing. Or if you're in a town that has three attorneys, you might have known them for 45 years. Uh, either A, your wife's gone and talked to them first, so they're conflicted out. <laughs> or B, you don't want Bob from church knowing that you're hooking up with your secretary <laughs> on Friday nights. And so it's it just kind of happened a little bit out of time uh, to where we are today. Well, I definitely think Darren and I share your philosophy of the ideal of how can we move folks through this process as efficiently and quickly as possible so that you can get on with your life. And from what you've just said, sounds like you've really targeted that notion. I'm interested in the military piece, but I, I won't jump that narrow. So you've managed to say, I generally do uncontested pieces. In our practice, and I, I won't speak for Darren, but I think often most everybody that comes in to see us has that ideal of, yes, I want this to be an uncontested process. I want it to be efficient. We might do some settlement letters or conferences off the top. But really, on, on many files, we do find there's going to be some litigation along the way. If not a full-blown trial, that's very rare, or a full-blown uh, Shangri-La process, there may be some intervention with a court at some juncture. So do you do any of that work? Or if things get contested or there's friction and pushback, what do you do? Yeah, uh, my official answer and the answer that I'll give my wife aren't the same. Uh, I've, I've told my <laughs> wife I don't really do a lot of contested stuff right now. Um, I keep a small number of contested cases at a time. Um, I actually just picked up one last week that was a referral from another uh, classmate from law school, uh, his family member that needed some help. But I keep a small number of those at a time. Um, they take more time. My, my system's more efficient uh, with the uncontested divorces. But I keep those for a couple of reasons. One, I feel like it keeps my skills sharp. It, it broadens my knowledge of the law. It broadens my practice of the law. I'm often the only attorney involved in the divorces that I do on the uncontested side. And so it gives me the opportunity to, to interact with other lawyers um, and really like I learn stuff or maybe, hey, you're going to draft the stipulation for entry of decree or the proposed divorce decree and you send it to me and it has a clause in there that I didn't think of. And so I'm I'm going to copy that and add it to my process and my system, you know. And so I feel like if I isolate myself from the uncontested from the contested stuff altogether, I won't grow as a lawyer and I won't be increasing my knowledge of the law. But we really do our best to filter people out at the beginning of the process who aren't interested. And then later, earlier or late last fall, um, we added another step where the spouse agrees. I have a, a non-representation agreement that that individual signs that says they understand the process and that they want to go through with it. I don't see it as binding. I see it more as expectation management. Uh, my fee agreement does allow me to, if it becomes contested, to either switch to the billable hour with the retainer or which often the case altogether. And it just kind of depends on the facts of the case, which way I go. But we did implement the extra step where the spouse is is indicating that they are willing and they want to go through this process of uncontested divorce. Because um, before that, I would have several cases where 
like, yeah, I think my wife agrees. I think my spouse agrees. And then we find out that they want it. And now it's in the contested side and either I have to say I need more money or you got to find a new lawyer or um, they, I would do all the work. And then once in my, in the agreement is once there's a response, uh, then that triggers the, the uh, contested case and that agreement. So and maybe I would go ahead. Yeah. So I, I want to jump on that. Yeah. I'm interested yeah. in what you've just said. So you're contacting the other spouse and you said you've added another step. So Darren and I generally in our processes, if someone comes to us, yeah, my ex generally agrees. Uh, maybe we can get a deal. And if we get a deal, we're going to put it all in agreement, formalize it in court documents, which is what it sounds like you're doing. But it sounds like there's maybe something different there where you're contacting that opposing party first. Are you proposing basically saying, this is what I propose to do with the kids. This is what I propose to do nope. with support. These, so, so what is that step? If you, can, yeah. if you can hash that out a bit more. Yeah. So someone calls and we go through the process and I always advise, like, call your spouse, tell them what we talked about, make sure like it's going to work for both of you because it doesn't do us any good to get down the road and figure out that this so, isn't the right. So is that when someone comes to you saying sort of like, this is what I think a deal is going to look like? Yeah. So whatever that first call is, like we're going to figure out okay. if I'm a good fit for them, they're a good fit for me. Gotcha. And then I email, I email them. Like, even if they say this is the best conversation I've ever had in my life, I want to hire you. I don't let them. I say, talk to your spouse, make sure it's a good fit for both of you. And then I'll send them an email that says, hey, this is what we talked about. This is how much it is. Let me know if you want to proceed. Once they proceed, I say, great, because uh, we already have their email from the intake. Let me get your spouse's in email address. And so now I have their email address and I have the spouse's email address. And the, my client gets a client agreement uh, that's not too long, but it outlines the expectations of what's going to happen. And then the other party, it's very short. I think there's like five paragraphs that just says it's more of expectation management. Like, hey, I understand that Robert's not my attorney. I understand he can't give me advice. I understand I have the option to get another lawyer if I want. Uh, I understand that the intent is to go through this, you know, peacefully and efficiently. And so uh, sometimes people read that and they say, well, I'm not signing this. This isn't what I want to do. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, we've identified at the beginning that this isn't a good fit for you. Because I was getting people, like, like what I was getting frustrated with was we would do all the work and then they would give them the petition. Then they'd go get a lawyer and now it's contested. I've already done all the money that the client agreement has paid me to do. Uh, and so I'm not going to give them a refund. And it's, it's like, well, I've taken your money. You're not divorced. I'm not solving the problem. Like, how do I, you know, how can I cut people out of the process who aren't interested at the beginning? And once we did indicate that extra step, like we did for the first couple of weeks, uh, you know, people were calling and saying, hey, my spouse says no, or uh, I don't want to do this anymore. And yeah, like my overall business, you know, intake for the month, went down for the you know two or three months after we in implemented that but i was able to keep a higher percentage of the funds that i did earn because we filtered you know some higher number of those people out it's not perfect but it gives us a better chance of getting to that conclusion if everyone's on the same page at the beginning that's that's what i really see it as managing expectations because the spouse can sign it and then say well no I agree. I don't want to do this. I want my lawyer. I'm going to get contested. I mean, sometimes I deal with people that say, well, I want an uncontested divorce and I want X, Y, Z, and it's totally unreasonable. You know, like, hey, I want the kids all the time. Was dad a dirtbag? Does dad do drugs? No, I just like the kids. And it's like, well, that's, 
that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, I, I want to keep the house. Well, how much equity is in it? $500,000. Well, you got to pay the husband, you know, two and a half, two, $250,000 to make that work. I don't want to do that. I just want to keep the house. And it's like, well, you're saying you want an uncontested divorce, but you're saying as long as I get 100% what I want, we can be uncontested. And it's like, well, we may not be the good, you know, the best fit for you. All right. So here's the uh, here's the hot quiz time for you, yeah. Robert, um, because um, I know Rob, um, we've had a, another U.S. attorney on previously. Her name's uh, Hannah Hambry Bell, um, and she's a um, Austin, Texas based lawyer. Uh, she's fantastic. She's really busy on LinkedIn, and we had a great conversation with her. Rob did. I was I was not there that episode, but Rob got into this interesting discussion with her, and um, it's about property division regimes. And there, there's a couple of different classifications of this. I'm going to turn it over to Rob because I know Rob is fascinated. I shouldn't say fascinated, but he's interested in this concept because Hannah was discussing it not only on our podcast but other social media platforms. So, what, Rob, what what is this property division regime? Oh thing? man, uh, I didn't prep for this at all. I didn't know this That's was coming, okay. so I, I I don't want to um, betray my own ignorance. Just <laughs> great. So you know what? I I'm not even going to pretend to talk around that. Uh, I understand, uh, uh, Robert. You can get you connect me, or please correct me. It really does vary state to state. Where some states are community property, and I understand it's sort of everything is divisible, no matter when you got it, no matter where it came from. Versus other states um, take a more nuanced approach. What's what's the rule in Idaho? Yeah, uh, there's nine property states, and Idaho is one of them. Uh, coincidentally, most of the uh, property or community property states are on the west side of the country, uh, and we border a lot of them. Um, the other states do some equitable division and some other stuff, and I don't practice in any other jurisdiction other than Idaho, but sometimes I'm like, hey, I wonder how they would do this in that state, and it's not always clear to me what the difference is, so it is a little confusing, or they call it equitable division, but then they're not... Because I think, I think the way Darren and I do it, if I, if yeah. I was going to sort of translate this, I think we are an equitable division jurisdiction by and large across Canada. That's what we do. And if you're community property, I think that's different. I, I don't know how far we want to take this so, and try and talk to no, each other before I someone says, I don't know what you're talking about. And that ends the conversation. No, I think we're very close <laughs> because we do have community property. And then yes. we have equitable dis distribution of it. So fair and okay. equitable. Okay. And so the first thing we do is identify is a community property or separate property. And then we figure out how to divide it. And fair and equitable, 50-50, I, I tell my clients like 50-50 is the starting point unless there's good reasons not to or you know consider other stuff. But that's where we're going to start unless we have some other factors that are going to indicate that we're not going to do 50-50. Um, Makes sense. Back to your so if you're if you're litigating around that one question I have and I think this is interesting, um, the notion of trial. So in Canada across all provinces, I'm almost certain, but it's the case in BC where I am, and Rob's in Alberta. Um, we cannot have a jury trial for a family law or divorce case, um, and so if you're asking a court to make a determination on an interesting uh, equity issue in terms of property division, like a non 
50-50 division. You want to unequally divide it for some, some reason, or some other issue might come up, and you think it's worthy of going to trial. Is it possible in Idaho that you're going to be speaking to uh, a jury of 12 about the issue, or is it always put before a judge? It's always before the judge. I don't want to say that there's never a jury trial for divorce, but I'm unaware of any circumstances or any time that it's ever happened. Uh, if it's not prohibited by law, it's very rarely practiced. I'm unaware of a jury trial um, in a divorce case in Idaho. Okay. Okay. Um, on the litigation piece, then back to that. So we... Um, we have a problem, at least in many of our provinces in Canada, certainly Ontario out in the east struggles with this, the notion of getting in to see a judge, even for what we would call an interim chambers application, what you may call a motion there, I'm not certain. Um, that can take months or even years in some provinces to even get an interim application heard. That's not the case where I practice, um, and it's also not the case where Rob is, but it can still take months uh, to get in for an interim matter unless it's truly urgent. There's a, a matter of protection, protection order, or um, some sort of restraining or injunction order on property that's needed. Um, what's the process look like in Idaho? Is it easy to get into court and go about getting your interim matters decided, or what does that look like? Yeah, so it's going to vary by county. Um, keep in mind, Idaho has a lot of rural, small counties. Um, and then we have some handful of population centers, you know, uh, Ada County, Boise, Meridian. Uh, those are our two largest cities and they share a county. And so if you're looking to get something handled there, you're going to be looking at a little bit longer of a window. But even then, I would say like 10 to 18 months. I mean, it'd be very hard to go past 18 months in the courts. Not impossible, but the court doesn't want it to go that far. In these other counties, it's really quick. It could be, hey, I need a motion hearing. Hey, well, how about next month or six weeks from now? Um, kind of a, a difference to a story to tell the difference in those two counties is last year, um, January 1st, you know, new year, uh, office closed, courts closed, but I'm trying to get caught up on work. I think we're always trying to get caught up. So uh, I filed a petition for divorce on January 1st in Ada County. You know, when the court opened, I got it sent back to me. Uh, and that was case number 26. I don't know if you guys do this in Canada, but in Idaho, your case number is going to be determined on the county and then the order that you file uh, the, the document in, right? The, the order that's received. And so, files uh, at five o'clock January 1st, I was the 26th person to file a divorce petition that year. Uh, later in that year in July, I filed in another county in Idaho and my case number was assigned 26. And so, wow. you know, yeah, so we're talking two vastly different spectrums, you know, with, with, with the speed in which your case is going to get uh, addressed. But I, I think even in Ada County, um, 18 and 20, especially COVID backed it up. It's not uncommon um, to to like be in front of the judge for a scheduling conference and getting a, a, a date that's 11 months out, you know, like that's, that's little, it's getting more and yeah. more common with, with the number of cases in the backup. And in those larger counties, um, Cannon County, which is Caldwell, which is one of, I think the third and fourth largest city in the state, or two of the top five cities, um, they make you go to mediation first. And so like if, if you have kids, okay. Uh, and you're going to go to mediation. If you're in the smaller communities, they're not looking to decrease their caseload by a great deal. And you go to mediation if the lawyers or the parties think it's a good idea and it's going to help resolve the case. But in the larger counties, they're going to 
send you to mediation as soon as I can. Would you say Our there's been a question, bigger uh, oh. push? Would you say there's been a bigger push to mediation in the last 10 years doing this? Um, it's hard to, to give an answer to that because I've only practiced for 10 years. Um, and again, I think it varies by, yes. Well, I think again, it varies by County. So like Mount home and Boise are 45 minutes apart, but one's got, you know, 500,000, the other one's got 30,000 people. And, um, you know, I, when I first started, you know, I spoke with the judges, you know, in Elmore County, Hey, media is awesome. Mediation is awesome. How do we do it? And they're just, we just don't have the caseload that Boise has. So we don't, have the same procedures. Um, but the other thing is, you know, in the smaller rural communities, money could be a limiting factor. And so they don't really want to add extra steps or add extra money to go see it. Um, and my, my experience, my opinion, when I was doing mediation, mostly in Mount Home, it was for lawyers whose clients had run out of money and they didn't want to keep uh, billing them by the hour. And they kind of wanted to punt somebody else to solve the problem. So they wouldn't have to take it to trial and lose money. Uh, versus Ada County, where the caseload continues to increase as the population grows. Like sometimes you will file the petition for divorce, the response comes in. Like if you know if I'm doing uncontested divorce, there's not going to be a response. But if it is a contested case, the response comes in, and then within a week, you know the judge is talking about sending everyone to mediation. Last question for you, not substantive, but. Um... I got to ask. So this year, the Idaho Vandals football team, uh, fantastic season. I watched from afar. I, didn't wa- I don't get to watch any of the games, but uh, uh, when I was there, we had, uh, I think the slogan was something, Coach Aki, Aki's Army, come a long way since then. Um, the team had a fantastic year. How are we feeling about Idaho Vandals football? Yeah, uh, two things. Um, when we were here, we were in the FBS, which is the football bowl series, uh, which is the top level of football. Uh, since we've graduated law school, we've dropped down to the FCS, which is the football championship series. So we a little bit lower. Um, this year, we we were seated number four in the postseason tournament, uh, which you could argue meant we were ranked as high as four. I think we might have been ranked high as two or three in the regular season. So we're this year and last year, we're finding ourselves among the best of that lower division, as opposed to being 1-8-11, 0-12, maybe 2-10 at the top, of, yeah. you know, at the bottom of the top level. So that's been a big change. And then the other um, piece, the unknown, is that after the season ended, there was a lot of players, good players, who hit the transfer portal uh, to go on to bigger and better schools. Uh, I don't know if you guys are tracking. We have name, image, and likeness down here with the NCAA. That's really, and they've relaxed the transfer rules. So it's really changed the game as far as uh, players staying with the team. Uh, And closely connected to that is we have a really good coach. This was one of his, I think, his first opportunity to be a head coach. He's proven to be a good head coach. And so it's probably a matter of time until somebody else discovers that he's a good coach and wants to give him more money than we're currently paying him to coach. And so next season, uh, it's like, I mean, I think expectations are high, but the reality is we've lost a lot of our good players. And every year, players are going to come there and prove themselves and prove to be really good and have options to go to opportunities to go to other schools. And that's always going to be the challenge. But right now, it's a good time to be a Vandal. Go Vandals. Well, Robert Taylor, thank you so much for being with us. We'll put your contact information in the show notes. But if folks want to find you online, how can they do that? 
Yeah, they can go to www.taylorlm.com. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-L-M.com. Well, thank you so much for being with us. This has been Divorced and Done, and we look forward to being with you again. 